Hi, everybody. My name is Drew Waldron, and thank you so much for tuning into Episode 5 of Niche Talks. I started this podcast series so I could interview whoever I wanted about whatever niche topics they specialized in. Now, the last couple episodes have all been about digital media, but for this episode, I turned to my friend Nick Oliveri, who specializes in the written word. Now, not only is Nick an author, he's an independently published author. He and I sat down to have a conversation about all the hurdles that indie authors have to go through to publish their work, as well as the nonprofit that Nick started to help indie authors just like him. If you're interested in learning more about Nick and his upcoming projects or his past work, please check the episode description below. Now, without further delay, here's my interview with Nick Oliveri. So Nick, what is the best way to describe yourself to people who are unfamiliar with your work? Really? Um, I'm a creator. So, and uh, yes, I'm an author more explicitly. So I have always been creating things from a young age. I got pictures of me playing with blocks. Um, and yeah, it sounds, it sounds dumb. It sounds trivial, but no, man, I always have these pictures in my mind and I want to get them out there. I want to express them in whatever ways possible. So <clears throat> that's materialized. <clears throat> Excuse me that's materialized lately into um, five novels published in the last year. And uh, as well as a book of poetry that just came out last month, that was a number one new release. So the written and spoken word are really how I've best communicated. Um, and it's my passion. It's my absolute passion. And I love writing. I love publishing. It's a thrill. It's a rush to just have this giant work. That's your little baby just come to life and, have other people hopefully nourish it. Hopefully it doesn't die. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So that's me. I love that. Uh, it seems like, at least from my perspective, as someone who's never written any book or any writing of any kind, that going from novels to poetry would be a bit of a weird transition. How did that come up? That's a good question. So I am a, I'll start with, I'm a highly emotional person. I really, really am. And um prose writing, which is prose is basically just uh, writing fiction, writing out sentences, you know, novel is prose. Um, poetry is opposed to prose. Well, um, it's not prose. So um, when I'm writing poetry, I have an emotional burst. I'm usually on a walk. It's sometimes a cigar to get the juices flowing, but I am almost always writing poetry exclusively in my phone. I don't sit down and say, I'm going to write a poem. Uh, now, this is juxtaposed with my novel writing, which is an extreme dedication to the craft every single day. I write a thousand words and that's that. And so poetry is this emotional burst that I don't always have. Prose fiction is what I do really. Mm. How many projects are you working on at any given time? Because I would imagine that like those emotional bursts come from time to time and you could be working on a book of poetry while you're working on one of your novels. How do you kind of manage your projects? It's all in my head, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> it's all in my head. And so you ask me that question and I don't even have the answer because I have a novel that's on my shelf right now that's just drafted. It needs to be edited. I have a novel that's almost edited, which is the prequel to my debut. Um, I have a Kickstarter campaign that I've been uh, voraciously putting together that launches in mid-February. So I'd say I have five projects running, um, including the uh, nonprofit and keeping a lot of irons in the fire keeps me going. Mm, a lot of variety, I'm sure. Uh, for someone who's unfamiliar with your 
process? What percentage of the process do you think is your writing versus your editing versus trying to externally get it published? Like what is the process of writing a novel like for you from beginning to end? So I started writing at a really tough time for me. And I think that a lot of people, although when, when you're going through it at the time, it doesn't seem like anyone can relate to you. Right. But I wrote, I started writing the conjurer, which was my debut novel. Um, at a super tough juncture uh, in life for me where I was confused. I was feeling alone. I didn't know what to do next. You know, I was about to turn like 20 or 21, still young by the way, but like, (laughs) um, and I just had no idea. And so writing, when you talk about process, writing was something that it just came out of me like blood. You know, if I fall on the ground right now and I and I fall hard enough on concrete, I'm going to it's going to draw some blood from my elbow when I fall hard enough in life, when things happen, um, whether happy or sad, usually usually turbulent or sad, um, it comes out of me. The story is natural. So my I'm uncompromising when it comes to releasing my especially my novels. and so. First part of the process is drafting. I mm-hmm. take my drafting most seriously. The second part of the process is editing, and that varies across the table. But really, it's the writing. It's the drafting for me. Everything else I envision can be done. I, I think through the sheer force of will, I can promote things. I can sell myself and my work. It takes a long time. But, um, you know, right now on Twitter, for example, I have one and a half million um, impressions in the last month, right, just for my posts. Mm. And that is the result of a lot of promotion throughout the time. But it's about expressing myself, really. So, so the, the two works of yours that I am most familiar with are The Conjurer and Monsters in My Mind. Would you say that you have a knack for maybe darker themes. So Drew, it's funny. I actually just got a one and a half star review. And I think this was a gentleman's half that, that they gave me, you know, I think uh, I really, it should have been a one star review on a monsters in my mind. Um, And they basically said, this is far too dark for me. This, there is emotional abuse, sexual, uh, go, go down the line. Um, immense swearing and, and they just said, not only is the subject matter dark, but at every turn, it's dark. And yeah, I, there's no other way to say it than yes, I gravitate towards what's dark, but I believe in redemption as well. I believe in hope in the horizon. And um, I think that even in my darkest book, which is Monsters in My Mind, there is something to be taken out of that. There's something either motivational or learning that you can take, even if I do gravitate towards we'll call it uh, the macabre. (laughs) Uh, Well, I think that all art is, you know, based on the user's perception. Uh, When you were writing Monsters in My Mind, did you envision that someone reading it would have the reaction that that stranger did in his one and a half star review? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I, I wrote that book and I said, I want one star reviews and five star reviews. (laughs) I want ones and fives. And that's kind of what I've been getting. A couple twos here but a bunch of five-star reviews. I actually had an author, um, you know, I'm kind of deprecating myself right now, but I actually mm-hmm. had another horror author. She said it's one of the best books she's ever read. Um, and that, 
that warmed my heart for sure. Um, so ones and fives, baby, in Monsters in My Mind. That's what hey, I say. Man, we, we love divisive art. <laughs> if we could go back to uh, something you brought up earlier, your Twitter impression. So as someone who does follow you on Twitter, I've noticed that you have been picking up a ton of traction lately. I believe you just said a million and a half impressions on Twitter in the, in the month of January. Yeah. Wow. So it seems like you've really, at least from my perception, you've been building up this uh, community of authors where you kind of gauge opinions, gauge questions. How did your uh, desire to build that community come to fruition? Quick one minute story. I walked into an independent bookstore one time. Um, It was sunny out. I felt great walking into a bookstore. I always do. Um, I love even, this sounds weird, I love even the smell of the books. It's just a really haptic and nice experience to be in a bookstore, especially independent. And I walk right up to the counter and I say, uh, because this is important to me, I said, where's your, uh, where's your independent section? And, you know, as in where are your self-published or independent authors? Because they're, they're becoming more numerous nowadays. And she said, she looked me in the eyes and said, we don't have one. And wow. I was not rude to her, but that is just, you know, but I walked out and I know that as a fact that it's a microcosm of every single physical bookstore across the country. People say, we need to support the indie bookstores. We need to support the bookstores. Amazon's taking all the market share. That may be true, but guess what? We need to support indie authors because you know what was filled in that bookstore? A lot of, a lot of good stuff, but a lot of commercial garbage. A lot of James Patterson and Dolly Parton collabs. And I don't think that's very, I I don't think that's enlightening. I don't think that's going to advance anything. It's the weirdos. It's the creatives. It's, it's the outcasts that make the best literature hands down. And right now that's being suppressed. So I was mad and, you know, I still have a chip on my shoulder. Just for the context of the audience, is there any way that you could describe just how difficult it is to get published as an independent author in this day and age? It is gargantuan. Um, so I was reached out to um, actually by a, by a Bryant alum and she was writing a nonfiction book and she wanted a lot of advice because she was going to self-publish. So I gave her all this knowledge and everything I knew after publishing, I think at that point, four novels. And she said, yeah, like, it's so exciting. I'm almost done. It's been so long just drafting this thing. And And then I go, oh, great. That's awesome. How many words do you have? And she said, 15,000. You may not know, the audience may not know, but the the, the shortest novel is 40,000 words. So when she says, I'm almost done and it's 15,000 words, that's actually not even a novella. That's not even a mini novel. And yes, hers is nonfiction, but that's, it's still far, far, far too short. And then you finish that, say she puts another six months into the draft. She has to edit that. And I'm not talking just revisions. And I'm talking about either thousands of dollars or hundreds of hours into getting beta readers and making yourself read your story over and over again. And all of this is before you even have a conversation with someone who might be able to publish it, right? Oh, goodness. Oh, (laughs) oh, all all before that. Um, The audience can't see this, but maybe they can hear it. I'm holding up my manuscript to the prequel. Um, of The Conjurer right now. And I have read this thing three times over and that's after writing it. So picture writing a book and then you read it three times within a week. That's, that's a lot. And so 
but skip all that, right? Skip all the painstaking work, skip the thousands of dollars that it takes um, to really produce something great. Um, and I'm not saying you have to spend a lot of money to produce a great book, but oftentimes it helps a lot uh, to get a great editor um, and a great cover designer, et cetera. Um, once you have that manuscript, there are two options. You can get traditionally published or independently published. That's self-publishing. You can self-publish whatever you want technically, but no one is going to read it unless it's at the standard of a traditionally published novel. And all I mean by standard is it's babied through and through. It's edited profusely. It, is, it has the most commercialized cover. It's all polished up. It, um, I hope I've laid out just how gargantuan of a task it is because every single day you sit down in front of a page and writing is thinking, right? Writing is not easy. Hmm. And you say, okay, I have 7,500 words. It would be painstaking and difficult for me to get 1,500 in today. That would be, that would be a difficult feat. And I need to get to 60,000, 80,000, 100,000. And that's every single day you, you know, um, depending on how you write. So it's tough. <laughs> Man, no easy task at all. Uh, I think this would be an excellent opportunity to segue into your nonprofit. Speaking of independent publishing, uh, what could you tell the audience about that? So that story from the bookstore, it really was my impetus to starting this nonprofit because I go, no one cares about us. No one cares. No one gives a crap about, you know, uh, basically it comes down to physical distribution. Um, you, if you're traditionally published, generally you're going to be in literally every physical bookstore across the nation and sometimes the world if you do well enough. Um, an indie author, guess what? <laughs> they get nothing. And they put in just as much work, if not more. They took more risks. They paid for their own editing. They went out and they said, I don't have a book deal, but I'm going to write this because it's out of my heart. So I started this nonprofit. Um, it's called the Itavalui Corporation or TIV Corp for short. Itavalui just means I willed it thus. And I want that to mean I willed and we willed independent authors to get stronger together. So right now, um, uh, TIV Corp is actually holding applications. And, you know, if you're an audience member out there, whether you're a writer or you know a writer, um, feel free to uh, to email me and I'll, you know, leave my email later uh, or nickoliveri.writes at gmail.com. I'll, I'll throw that in the description. Um, amazing. Um, feel free to email me because applications are uh, closing March 1st for an, a $1,000 grant to independent authors. So it's not a ton of money. It's really not a lot, but it's what we're starting with. And it's the finances in both publishing and promotion that indie authors need the most. So I'm digging through some of my own pockets. I'm collecting donations and I'm finding a way to corporatize this uh, business essentially and which all goes towards independent authors. So $1,000, the applications close March 1st, and I want to grow it. We want to grow it so that, I mean, man, I wish I could have every independent author 
thriving and getting those thousands of say or thousands of dollars of sales a month. I, but I think that we can get many and that is a hope. And if off this grant, we can even get one, that would be brilliant to me because that's all it starts with. And then we're going to continue from there. So that's the impetus for the nonprofit. And uh, I really want to emphasize we're only going to be growing. Wow. That is incredible. I would have to imagine that a goal like that is heavily community-based. And you as someone who has spent the last couple of months on Twitter engaging with uh, hundreds and hundreds of authors, uh, what are some big surprises that you've seen as you uh, grow your audience of authors, grow your community of authors, you start interacting with these people who are trying to accomplish similar goals as you? Uh, what's something that stuck out to you or surprised you? Same goals, different processes, everyone. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. So Drew, um, you're in a band. You you know, I'd imagine all musicians, just like all other artists, they want their art to be appreciated. Maybe not everyone wants to get famous and rich. Some do. Everyone wants their art to get appreciated. It's no different with writers, right? But the process to get there, some say writing is super difficult. And I can tell, you know, I could go on for days about all these different answers on Twitter, but I've had literally thousands of responses at this point for very, very important writing questions. And I am dead serious when it is, it, all of the answers conflict at every single point. Mm. And and you're also incredibly like, like broad when you ask the questions, you know, like you're not pointing anybody anywhere. Like you are leaving it open to a spectrum of responses. Oh yeah. So when I say, what's your favorite book? I, they're all different. When I say is writing easy or difficult? They, they say in the middle, they say easy, they say difficult, they say, oh, it's, it, I need this substance. They say, oh, um, I need to be in this mode. Oh, only on Tuesdays, uh, <laughs> you know? So, uh, it's, so that's what I found on Twitter and in general. It's the same goal. We want to be loved and appreciated, but man, how we get there is so different. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And I'm assuming that plenty of these authors have applied for your grant, right? Plenty of them have. Plenty of them have already reached out to get the parameters. Um, and then many, many have already applied. Mm-hmm. And I am, so my nonprofit has already bought like a number of independent books. And it just feels great um, to just make someone's day and to just appreciate them, even read the first chapter and really, really immerse myself in it and say like, this is great. I thought you did this genuinely well. Um, and yeah, so, so many authors have applied for this grant and I can't wait to just do what I've been doing on a little bit bigger of a scale with that thousand dollars. Um, yeah, because it's just, it means everything to them to even have one. And and this is me too. When when I say them, it's me too. If I know that one person is reading my novel and they get, they take something away from it. That's a piece of me. That's, that's my heart, soul. That's my blood that I put in there. Um, not, not literally, of course, but man, um, it's super vital to me. And then someone says, Hey, I was affected by this. That's where the nonprofit comes from. Wow. This is a, this is kind of off topic, but along similar themes. Uh, have you seen the recent movie Babylon? I have not. Man, there, there's just one scene that really kind of hits me in the same way that what you were talking about hits me, uh, where Brad Pitt, he 
plays this silent movie actor who's at the peak of his career and he's like slowly watching his career deteriorate and deteriorate and get worse and worse. The offers he's getting are, are shittier and shittier and the work he's getting is, is of a much lesser quality. And he sits down and he has this conversation with a casting director about uh, his work and what his legacy means and all this great stuff. And she paints him a very vivid picture that yes, your career is ending, but think about this, like the movies that you were in, uh, the, the works of art that you were in a hundred years from now, a child that is going to be born far after you die could watch your movie and feel as if they know you personally. Like you have cemented yourself in a form of immortality that very few people get to cement themselves within. And, and I don't know, the, the, way, the way that you were just talking about how you want people to take those emotions that you express out of your work, it, it hits me in a very similar way, you know? Wow. Wow. That's... That's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that because that's, you know, the, the immortality piece that it's a good visual too. Mm. that child a hundred years from now. It's, it's crazy. The human Colossus and how we can build on one another. I think it, of it in a DNA sense. I think about it. I literally just produced this. This is my kin. Um, this I put in you know, when you put time, energy, and genuine thought into something, just like say an original art piece, I was just in art galleries all day. Um, you, you imbue that piece or that book or that movie with a piece of you. And then even say, say that book is not read 200 years from now, all the books or all the movies or whatever the hell people are doing 200 years from now, some of them are going to be influenced. If, if you reach enough people initially, there's going to be influence upon influence upon influence. And you have made this butterfly effect with this work that you produced with all your heart and soul. So put your heart and soul into it, basically. Man, very, very well said. Speaking of things that you put your heart and soul into, uh, do you want to talk about your other Kickstarter project for The Conjurer? Because I think it's fascinating what you're trying to do. So I look at my books as source code. I am uncompromising with the quality of the novels, but I don't, so there's just one issue. Not everybody reads. Mm -hmm. I wish they did, but not everyone does. So how do I get my work? How do I further immortalize my work? Well, in the terms of Babylon or what we've been talking about, I want to make it audio visual. The Conjurer, which was my debut, I produced an audio book last month. And so I have a Kickstarter coming up in mid-February, and I am so excited to be raising money to illustrate the first chapter of this audiobook. I already have an illustrator lined up. Um, I was so thankful to just have so much help in um, compiling the campaign, and it's looking really, really beautiful every day now. And yeah, mid-February, we're raising money to illustrate the first chapter of the audiobook and it's not a movie. It's not a cartoon. A lot of people on Twitter are like, oh, you mean a movie? I'm like, uh, no, because it's an audiobook illustrated. And what that means for me is a cinematic experience, but directly from my words, directly from the novel. It's really never been done before. And if it has, I don't think it's been done well enough to actually reach people and affect people. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited for that. And remind me, what's the time frame on that project? Mid-February, I believe February 15th um, is is my desired launch date. Mm. And um, and yeah, yeah, I I can't wait. 
It's interesting how you kind of want to transcend writing in that way. Are there any other forms of entertainment mediums that you would consider writing for? Because it seems like your work is primarily literature, but is there anything else that you want to try in the future? So I actually spent the day um, applying to art galleries to be an associate um, sales or just do something within a gallery because I've wanted to get my foot in the, I've just been dreaming of working with art. Um, I love original art. Like I say, you can imbue a book with a part of yourself, same with an original painting. Um, and so I want to get into the business of paintings, hmm. some sculpture too, but original physical art, I want to get into the business of. So in actually one of my novels that's on the shelf right now that has yet to come out is called The Painter. And um, it's a study. And no, that sounds boring. It's not boring. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's a study on what is your worth or what is your work worth? And basically, the conclusion is it's whatever it's worth to you. That's, that's what that is. So I want to get into the painting business. It's so many paintings are worth so much to, to, to some people. And I think that's fascinating to learn more. But um, really, I just want to explore another piece of art that's foreign to me and continue to learn. Mm -hmm. And just build your career on that? For sure, for sure. Or at wow. least um, at least have a yet another project going. <laughs> uh, I'm curious because I always love hearing about different uh, artists' influences. What are some of your favorite books, movies, TV shows, uh, works of art that have greatly influenced you? I'd be curious to know. So I'll start with books. Mm -hmm. um, I have I have two or three that stand out way above the rest as giant influences. And that one of them is On Writing by Stephen King. Um, fantastic book. And he just, there's so many quotable lines in that. One of them being, um, kill your darlings, as in, you know, he's talking about editing and he's talking about, you need to, you need to let things go mm -hmm. and to make, to basically make your work better. Um, I'm not a big movie watcher. I'm really not, mm -hmm. uh, TV shows. I love breaking bad, specifically the writing and the acting. Yeah. Yeah. The, Fantastic. Best show ever made. The writing in, I, I specifically look at the character development when you see some of these arcs and some of them aren't even arcs, they're complete winding journeys. Mm. I, I aspire to that level of development and believability in my characters when I look at Breaking Bad. That's a few, that's a, that's a, that's a few things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Solid. I, when you say Breaking Bad, it just reminded me, there was some time ago where I looked up the, uh, the screenplay, like just the script for the episode fly. And I, I think you recall exactly which one uh, fly is. And oh, yeah. man, I, I, I hold that that is one of the greatest episodes of breaking bad. And a lot of people don't like it because nothing yeah. interesting happens. Look, Oh, there's no action. There's no violence or whatever. Like, no, it is one of the best written episodes of television ever made. Like the amount of character development that happens in the span of 30 minutes is unbelievable and just the the subtle dialogue choices that they make uh both actors and writers it, it just blows me away and it, as i've often found because uh you know I, i'm a big uh cinephile especially i have become one in the last like five years 
sometimes reading a script is a completely different experience than watching uh, whatever movie uh, it it ended up being. It's just a completely different experience when you read what the original intent was before everything was shot and edited and done. It's just unbelievable. Can I ask a potentially a big question that might not have an answer? Please do. Let's do it. Uh, So earlier in this conversation, you had mentioned how people are reading less and less nowadays. Uh, I think that without consulting any research, that is abundantly true. I know it's at least true for myself. Uh, I think I texted you. It it took me like six or seven months to read The Conjurer, like after you put it out. Like I I just put it off for so long. I started it. I stopped. Like I, I myself am not a reader. People our age are primarily not readers. How do you think that that could potentially change for the better moving forward? How do we make people our age readers again? What would change in the culture? This is a very nuanced question that requires Mm. a nuanced response. And I will start with a few things. One being people. So reading in literature is just another medium. And yes, that medium has deteriorated and become less popular, but there are a few, there are a few growth factors as well. So one, audiobooks. Audiobooks have grown about 25% year over year last year, and they're projected to grow even more. And if you're um, not into finance or or even just like you're not, you're not used to looking at caggers and compounding, you know, um, that is absolutely huge for a multi-billion dollar industry. So audiobooks are one way that people can engage in long form content um, and get thoughts and um, feelings and really, really nuanced um, human emotions and, and experiences out. Same with a podcast actually. But I wanna, I wanna stick to the audiobook because the audiobook, unlike this conversation, which is great, but it's free flowing. The, the audiobook is that medium that is chopped up a million times, poured, poured into, um, usually looked at by many, many people, thou- you know, all the thousands of dollars, so on and so forth. Audiobooks are a huge way that people quote unquote read these days. Um, and that's why I'm trying to transition into these, not, not transition, I'm always gonna write books, but um, that's why I'm trying to foray into cinematic books. And I think that is actually what I'm doing. It may not be adopted right away, I'll be honest. People are confused. They call it a cartoon or they call it a movie. But I think that's the future of reading. I think that in, in people are always gonna read. Some people might check me on that. People, there are biblio, bibliophiles out there. There are always gonna be bibliophiles. Every, there is always gonna be a- No, oh, I believe it, man decent population of people that buy a ton of books and read a ton of books. Um, Now, but uh, yeah, I'm telling you the, the cinematic book, the audio book come to life. I think that's the next step because you get true words of a novel, true experiences and all of that uh, refinement. And then you put it into something beautiful in an audio visual way. People can, I mean, that's going to be magical once it comes out, which, well, you know, mid, mid-February. <laughs> Mid-February. 
Man, I cannot wait to see it. Uh, I think that before we conclude, uh, I'll let you take this time to plug whatever you'd like, your Twitter, uh, your your email again for your, your grants, whatever projects you have going, it, plug whatever you'd like. Yeah, yeah. So uh, feel free to follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's at Faulty Harb, F-A-U-L-T-Y-H-A-R-B, or just look up Nick Oliveri. Um, I'll probably be up there. There's not a lot of other Nick, but you know, Look up Nick Oliveri. You're at least um, the most prominent Nick Oliveri. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> if, if I could, if I could cut in super quick, what what is Faulty Harb? Where does that come from? It's actually from a card game that I played with my friends uh, out here on the West Coast um, called Dominion. It's this old card game mm. called Dominion. It's this obscure game, and the Harbinger it was was one of the cards. And the heart, you know, there's a, the harbinger means something, but the harbinger was just like, basically it kind of advanced you a little bit quicker than your opponent. And it brought you like, uh, um, an extra coin. So I said, I'm faulty harb. Like I am, I'm the false harbinger, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of a double little, uh, just kind of a joke. Wow. Really? Yeah. Uh, and anything then, else to plug before we wrap up? And, uh, you know, if you are a writer or you know a writer um, that has published at least one book independently, nickoliveri.writes at gmail.com. That's it. Fantastic. Man, thank you again so much for your time and sitting down for this conversation. I appreciate it more than I could articulate. And to the audience who listened to this whole thing, thank you. I appreciate your support as well. I hope you have a lovely night. Take care. Truth. Thank you. I appreciate it.